My name is Andrew Johnson. I'm a uh, parent and resident of Midtown Kansas City. I'm Kristen Drogi. I'm the Executive Director for Citizens of the World Kansas City. And I'm Nathaniel Bozarth. This is Wide Ruled, Brainroot's podcast on the past and present of equality in education. On today's episode, a group of parents in Midtown Kansas City, Missouri seek to solve their lack of educational options through community engagement and the founding of a new public charter school. This episode is the second of a two-part series surrounding charter schools. In the previous episode, we looked at some arguments against charters through the story of Moore Squared and the battle against C-Trust, now called Education Cities. If you haven't listened to it, you should. Today, Andrew starts our story. Kristen will join later. So three years ago in the spring of 2013, um, my wife Kristen and I... To be clear, that's not Kristen Droji who we'll hear from later in today's episode. Different Kristen. My wife Kristen and I realized we had been a part of so many conversations around town with other parents of young kid, uh, of young children. Um, just having these conversations around what are you gonna do about schools? Where are you going to send your kid to school? A lot of us in the Midtown area um, wanted to figure out you know, the good school options in the city and um, how we could you know, find the best seats for our kids and stay in the neighborhoods that we loved. Uh, but so much of the conversation that we heard was negative, and it was all uh, critical of the school district or critical of um, certain schools. And a lot of the conversations that trickled down to the parents that we were, the conversations we were having with parents also tend to be negative. It was, don't go to that school, or, um, you know, this, the whole system is bad. There's only a couple of good schools. What Andrew is referring to here could be called a deficit orientation It could also be called a general half-empty pessimism. Either way, consensus is emerging that this sort of language around schools renders a disservice by exacerbating already low expectations and encouraging well-to-do families of all ethnicities to relocate out of urban settings for better schools in the suburbs, decreasing both the tax base and pure pupil funding received by schools in urban areas. That said... There were certainly some deficits on the Kansas City Public School rap sheet. For the second time in a decade, the district had lost accreditation. The district was being run by its 27th superintendent in less than 43 years. And KCPS had recently closed 26 schools, summarily eliminating the reality of neighborhood schools in Kansas City, Missouri. In this climate, Andrew and his wife started meeting other parents interested in taking action. My wife and I um, just got to the point where we wanted to have a different kind of conversation, uh, you know, not a negative one, um, not the usual one. So we gathered a group of parents in our living room, some of whom we knew, others, friends of friends. We sent it out on Facebook and email, inviting whoever to come over who wanted to just have a conversation about education. And that formed the Midtown Community School Initiative. Um, within a couple months, we had a team of about five parents who really stepped up and wanted to um, figure out how to work hard on this. The Midtown Community School Initiative, henceforth MCSI, didn't really know what they were doing. Like, they hadn't yet formed an official opinion on what their solution would be. They were just kind of excited that they could all share in this growing concern. Sort of wanted to write it out and see what happened. Within a couple months, we had a Facebook group of about 300 people we just set up a free Google survey and captured about 140 families saying, um, 
they feel like we need more quality public school options in the city. By the end of the summer in August, we had a meeting where 80 people showed up. And so we presented to that community um, what we thought were four options forward. Option one, the Midtown Community School Initiative partners with or adopts a district school, much like a group of moms adopted the Nettlehorse School in Chicago. Option two, MCSI petitions the school district to start a new school from scratch. Option three, they partner with an existing charter. Option four, they write their own charter. This last option turned out to be way more daunting than they could handle once they looked into it, so they dismissed it. We presented that to the community, expecting to have consensus back and get feedback that one direction made more sense than the other, and we just didn't have that consensus. We had great conversations, we had a lot of great feedback, but um, not a clear direction forward. So that fall, um, we had some advisors in the education community that we were just you know, bouncing ideas off of, and, and, and one of them came up with the idea of us writing an RFP. That's a request for proposals. And his thinking was, you know, we're not educators, we're not experts, we're also not funders, we don't have a ton of money lying around to just start a school. Um, but we do have this critical mass of parents and community support mm -hmm. and um, a, a lot to show for that. And so his thought was, why don't you write an RFP telling your story, showing the data, showing you know, why you think it's feasible that Midtown could um, benefit from a, a new quality public school and uh, put it out there for the education community to respond to. I looked up the RFP. You can look at it too using the link in the show notes. It was designed really well. It's attractive to look at with color swatches and graphics and an easy-to-read professional layout. There's a nice logo for MCSI in the shape of an old one-room prairie schoolhouse. The RFP mentions the, quote, annual exodus, end quote, of families who move away from Kansas City when their children arrive at school-going age. It cites data from their Google survey that 59% of their respondents marked interest in being involved in an initiative involving a new community-based public school. The RFP references the woes of Kansas City Public Schools, unstable leadership, loss of accreditation, low test scores, crumbling infrastructure, as reason why they weren't good enough. It goes on saying that the demand for good quality schooling is outpacing supply, citing the disproportionate amount of children living in Midtown under the age of five, and citing the long wait list for many of the high-performing charter schools in Kansas City. It also complains that, quote, Few charters offer preferential enrollment to certain geographic areas, which we view as essential to student success and community involvement, end quote. Remember how I said earlier that KCPS had recently closed 26 schools, effectively discontinuing the idea of a neighborhood school for many? Finally, after a map delineating the north, south, east, and west boundaries of Midtown, the request lists five values that any proposal should embody. First, that school is part of the community. Second, that a school must reflect the diversity of its surrounding community. Third, that the school should have high academic standards and innovative teaching. Fourth, the school should include cultural partnerships in the community. And lastly, that the school should support parental involvement and administrative transparency. When they released the RFP, it was all done through personal and work networks that members of the initiative had access to. Within two days, the RFB had been opened in 17 different states. Wowzers. Uh, we put it out there into the world. 
Um, about a month later, we received responses back. One was from the school district. We had also already been meeting with the district, talking to them about exploring options, what it would look like to partner with them. Mm. Um, so we re received a response from the district saying they wanted to keep that conversation going. We received a response from a local charter school saying they were in the works of possibly expanding their model and wanted to see if they could partner with us. And the third that was really a surprise came from this California organization called Citizens of the World. And, um, you know, I, I think at first, like any good Midwesterner, we were skeptical of anything coming from the coast. When we opened up their proposal to us, what we saw was this 200-page proposal um, not only reflecting back to us the values that we outlined in our RFP, um, but doing so in a way that showed that they had built this model already and that they had um, accomplished so much uh, building a school um, building a school model that is built on diversity of the of the student population that is built on in short those 200 pages were bona fide proof that citizens of the world had succeeded in establishing schools just like what MCSI was looking for strong relationships to the community, academic achievement, innovative teaching methods like project-based learning. The group of parents talked about it for another three months, weighing priorities, pros and cons. They eventually did decide to accept the Citizens of the World proposal based on how closely the California-based charter aligned with the original five values required by MCSI in their RFP. So I first heard of the new charter from a parent in the Midtown area. She who's white, sends her white daughters to a public school where each is the only white female in their class. The rest of the class is either black or Hispanic. As she and I talked about diversity and segregation in Kansas City schools, she mentioned citizens of the world disparagingly, telling me that a group of parents had been about the business of curating diversity, like trying to create a school that was just so diverse that their white children would remain the majority while being exposed to children of other ethnic and racial backgrounds. As we've heard so far, diversity was, in fact, one of the tenets ascribed to by MCSI, but it's not like it was the only thing they were concerned about. Nevertheless, haltingly, I asked Andrew and Christian Droji, Executive Director of Citizens of the World, Kansas City, to respond to this criticism. I'd say part of it, as, as someone who's um, lived in Kansas City my whole life and has lived in Midtown the last 10 years, one block, a couple blocks um, west of Troost, um, seeing a lot of the ways that we're still a divided city. Uh, we, we still have um, divisions and historically schools and real estate have been a part of that. And, and, and I think really understanding diversity in the fullest mm -hmm. sense possible, not just racial and socioeconomic, but um, you know, diversity of thought and opinion and background and experience, um, everything. So what I'm hearing from that answer is that the parents of MCSI wanted to give credence to the historic and racial divisions in Kansas City and also credence to data that proves diversity is good for young, budding brains. Okay. And I think while I <clears throat> agree and, and am motivated by all of those issues, I also come at it um, from a direction that's really rooted in education. Um, and the more time you spend working with children, teaching children, studying how we think and learn, <clears throat> the more clear it is that we are all different learners. You know, we, we may have everything in common, 
and we still tackle a problem in a unique way. We still process information in a unique way. We connect it to a unique understanding of the world. And <clears throat> until we really address that in a classroom and really support teachers in being able to meet the needs of all those diverse learners, we're not really going to educate children. And, and there's something that makes it all much more comfortable to think about the, the, the complex issues of diversity when you start with the idea that five-year-olds do math differently. You know, we used to start our days at, at Larchmont. That's Larchmont Charter School, where Kristen was principal and upon which Citizens of the World is modeled. We used to start our days at, at Larchmont with a math challenge. Now, you and I would call it a word problem uh -huh. <laughs> back in the day. Uh -huh. um, and the kids would come in and they'd get their little journal out and they'd start solving the problem. So the problem might be six birds sat in a tree, three flew away, but one came back. How many birds are in the tree? And in first grade, that's a lot of complicated thinking. Mm -hmm. And if you walked around the room, every child's doing their own unique thing. Some would do tally marks, six birds, cross okay. that one out, put one more. Others would do a very traditional looking number sentence. Um, and there would always be one drawing the most elaborate tree and the birds and lines of flight away from the tree and back to the tree. Cool. They figured it out the way that made sense to them. And I actually had the experience like of being in a classroom once when um, a little boy had just shared out his answer to a problem and the teacher said, it's a really interesting way that you did it. How did you think to do it that way? And he said, well, I used the way Taylor used yesterday. You know, and so right there in the middle of the class, this little boy just said, I was listening to my friend talk about math and it made sense to me and I adopted that way of thinking and it worked for me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's really huge. They're excited to learn from each other. They're excited that they can both have this unique way of looking at things and be okay with that. And when you grow in that environment and when you spend your days recognizing that that difference is exciting and helpful, it makes the more complicated conversations so much easier. And it's really, you're really growing the concepts of conflict resolution and acceptance and understanding, you grow it from the children and they spread it to their families and the, the community strengthens from it. And so to me, that's what Citizens has done so well. It's really recognized the interconnectedness of all these pieces, um, connection and understanding and community and diversity, those pieces, they all naturally go together. And if you think of them as really the whole, the same issue um, in, a, in a whole 360 perspective, that's what makes it work. It's, it's all very interconnected. I think that's really beautiful and unique, and I love that Citizens of the World addresses learning this way. I was really taken with the story, but I did feel like they both sort of tiptoed around the question at first. Andrew did get around to addressing the question a little more head-on. You know, as we went through our process with the school initiative, it, that really weighed on us a lot. Um, can we uh, best serve our community by going that route as well and saying um, more, uh, however you want to say it, more middle-class families, more families with upward mobility, more educated families, more white families, whatever. There, there is that strong argument in parent circles that if you just inject that into a local district uh, school, then it will automatically improve. And, by some measures, that 
may be the case. There is evidence to support that integrating low-performing students into a higher-achieving building does have a net positive effect for the previously low-performing students. I have not heard of any truly longitudinal studies to understand all the factors that play into this phenomenon, like whether it's a credit to school environment or a credit to positive academic peer pressure or higher expectations. And really, I think it's a fairly toxic idea, to be honest, because it can easily be interpreted in a strictly racial sense. That is, that students of color automatically improve when sat next to a white student. That notion is ridiculous, and I don't believe Andrew was making an argument for white superiority. Full stop. Andrew went on to say that he thinks it's fair to both consider putting his child in Kansas City Public Schools as an investment in the public school community, he called it the raising the boat argument, and also to be concerned about the best outcome for his child. I mean, this is a real question that so many well-to-do parents are asking themselves. I mean, on this topic, I'd like to put in a word for New York Times reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones, her article about choosing a school for her daughter in New York City that very much teased out the complexities of this question. It'll be in the show notes on our website. I think there is way more complexity not only to our decision to work with citizens and way more complexity to what citizens stands for, way more than curating diversity for for what purpose, I don't know. Um, and the last thing I'll say too is I, I think it's interesting to peg that on um, one charter school when it's, it's, it's similar to what school districts do all across the country as well. It is, it is. It, it is part of the legacy of trying to figure out integration, right? Um, how do you do it meaningfully and systemically? Um, you know, that, that's not a unique challenge. It's true. There's a delicate line between vying for diversity because the world is in fact diverse and commodifying diversity to the benefit of a hegemonic majority And it's not a line that traditional public schools have handled especially well either. For instance, busing students of color into suburban white schools has broken up communities of color and stunted the the development of children who have had to be at the bus stop at ungodly early hours. Recent school reporting standards numerate students of color into, quote, subgroups, unquote, that become proxy for how well schools perform. And for years, kitschy marketing photos used colored bodies to sell schools as culturally enlightened. Yeah. It's not a problem relegated to charter schools. So after talking about how Citizens of the World goes about attracting applications from students of all backgrounds, Kristen, Andrew, and I talked through some of the other arguments against charter public schools. We talked about the felt inequity of a school admission lottery. Kristen and Andrew agreed that when admission goes to lottery, no one is happy and that, in fact, the whole point of charter schools is to increase the number of quality seats so that there is a good option for every parent and child, i.e. an eventual hope that there will be enough quality seats available that admission lotteries won't be necessary. We also talked about the fear that charter schools are wrenching power from public citizenry Kristen explicitly reckons that charters serve the public by offering more options, like I was just saying. We also talked about the criticism that charters do not serve children with special needs. Here's Kristen's reply. We have a full, inclusive special education program, and we provide any services that a child with an IEP needs, Mm -hmm. um, as well as really recognizing that part of what special ed is is creative approaches to teaching different learners. 
Mm -hmm. um, so that's why it makes so much sense in our school, is we're all different learners. Our teachers learn a great deal from the special education teachers that they then adapt and use to differentiate for all learners. So it, it's, a, it's a really um, beneficial part of our program. And regarding children with so-called behavioral issues. And I think one of the main differences that I've worked really hard on with my faculties over the years is um, to give them the social permission as teachers to say, this is my curriculum. This is not interrupting my curriculum because I was supposed to be teaching science, but solving this problem and helping this child and helping all of the children learn from this situation, whatever it might be, that's my curriculum, that's what we're here to do. Because if you solve those problems, conflict resolution or self-expression, whatever it is, if you solve those problems in kindergarten, and first grade, and second grade, if you're worried about the academic time you might lose, you gain it back threefold by sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade when you're not solving those problems anymore. You're not just pushing it aside and waiting till it's bigger and more difficult. You're really addressing it and you're helping them learn to make good decisions, and that gets applied to everything they do. Charters grow up out of a need and a desire for options. Mm -hmm. if, if the needs were all met, we never would have had a charter system. Mm -hmm. um, parents need more choices. They need different choices or better choices or just more seats in general, whatever it is. That's where it starts. Um, and charter schools are an option that allow public funds to serve the public. A viewpoint that last episode's guest, Laura McDonald, starkly disagreed with. Again, I strongly recommend you check out the prior episode if you haven't. It gives another side of this highly polarized debate around charter schools. Citizens of the World is just finishing up its inaugural school year. The school opened with 125 students in kindergarten and first grade, making it among the largest, if not the largest, charter school opening enrollment in Kansas City. 60% of students qualify for free and reduced lunch, this statistic showing the proportion of low-income students at the school. Half of the students at Citizens are black, a little over a third of the students are white, and about 15% are Hispanic or Latino, Asian, or mixed-race students. Finally, about 10% of students at Citizens of the World are English language learners, and about 10% have special education needs. Citizens of the world expects enrollment to be at capacity as they add second grade in the fall. A few weeks after talking with Andrew and Kristen, Andrew followed up with an email. He was so bothered by the criticism that MCSI had been out curating diversity that he wanted me to know how much that's exactly not what their intention had been. And I don't mean to dismiss my friend's criticism, when I say that Andrew's concerned follow-up reminded me that no matter how heated people get in defending their stance and finger-pointing at the polarized opposite, most people are fighting for the same thing at the end of the day. A good education for their kids. They just come at it from different angles, emphasize different things, hold different ideologies, like the first graders solving math problems about birds. I'm Nathaniel Bozarth, and this has been Wide Ruled, Brain Roots podcast on the past and present of equality in education. Check out source material, that RFP, and an amazing article from Nicole Hunter-Jones in the show notes at brainroot.tv slash wide ruled podcast. 
If you feel like this story was an important story to tell, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. If you'd like to support Wide Ruled, because I'm a freelancer now, and that's a little frightening, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash wideruledpodcast, where you can support us by pledging a few bucks for every episode we turn out. And finally, if you have ideas for stories or comments, please email us at wideruledpodcast.brainroot.tv. Wide Ruled is produced by myself in conjunction with executive producer Christopher Cook. Music for today's episode comes from Rapternal. Thanks for listening.